0: Hi, my name is Olivier Young, coach of the Flyers. Hey, I'm Travis Konechny. Hey, this is Jeremy Roenick. Hi, this is Travis Sannon. Hi, I'm Paul Hogan. Hey, I'm Scott Lawton. Hi, I'm Joel Faraby. Hi. Hi, this is Bob Clark. And you're listening yes, to snow, snow the Goalie. 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 Snow the Goalie.
1: Oh, yes, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast, the People's podcast, the Players podcast, Prognosticators podcast, Pampers podcast, Beauty Light podcast, it's been the Pronger cast, we've had the Kniebel cast, we've recently had the Ronick cast, and there's been the Kiprios cast. And well, now we have a man who people have missed hearing from. And we thought, who better to break down an abysmal, upsetting, horrific, disappointing flyer season, than a man that would have been honest with you on TV. A man who should have been honest with you on TV. <laughs> none other than our favorite Bundy, apologies to King Kong Bundy, of course, Bundy himself. Chris Carian, welcome to the show.
0: Guys, it's great to be here. And yeah, I mean, that's the one thing I, maybe it's why I'm not working the games anymore, because I, I am brutally honest. And I mean, I would say just being on a pre or post game or an actual broadcast would not have held back for, you know, some of the things that I'd seen this year. So, I mean, it was a, it was a, a tragically disappointing year, you know, to say the least. And, and uh, you know, what started off and, you know, one thing, you know, I'll say this about myself, I'm, I'm fair, you know, and when the team's playing well, I was there to celebrate it, even beginning of the year, you know, JVR had a great start. The goaltending was pretty sharp. Guys had good, really good starts. Farabee emerged, um, you know, other guys kind of got, you know, I, I thought left to the side a little bit because other things were going so well. So there was no highlight on them. Uh, But there was like one in particular moment I thought during the year that really uh, turned the tables for this team. And I think it was a Sunday night game against the Washington Capitals where they, I think the team either had COVID cases or they were just up against it. They played the game and won. And it was like maybe a couple of weeks before the Tahoe game. It was they won. They beat Washington. I think it was a Sunday night game. Mm -hmm. And that was the beginning of the end after that for whatever reason and it went into Lake Tahoe um uh, that actually was a sham in, in and of itself because uh you know you talk about fatigue and the things that went on this year Them going to Lake Tahoe I mean I'm going to tell you right now when you fly out like we, we went out west a couple of years ago in my last year doing stuff uh with the Flyers broadcasting crew we traveled out to a Phoenix and uh, Vegas, Phoenix and Vegas back to back one weekend like a Friday Saturday I was gassed for two weeks after that. And I, and I didn't play a game. The players played. So when you're flying out to the, you know, California and Nevada border uh, to play out one hockey game uh, and get caught up in a lot of the stuff, I I really thought that was, that kind of set them back. They had COVID going on at the time. Um, But that was that, that Sunday night game was, was the night for me that kind of things went sideways for them and started to really tilt downwards.
2: Yeah, so uh, well, that was a heck of an introduction. I didn't even get to talk before you, the two of you guys, you know, just started going Over. into there. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Thanks. Thanks for letting me back on my own show. Uh-
1: <laughs> well, you know
2: what? Before before you even continue, you should probably double check your mic
1: because it's not your mic. It's your, your uh, computer mic right now is what we're hearing. Yes, so I'll make correct. sure that I...
2: Yes. What, what? Where's I, your I- regular mic? Where's your good mic at? It's here, but it wasn't working, so you made me unplug from it. So there you go. Oh, my God. Sorry, we're gonna
1: have subpar audio for an episode. You disgust me. Go ahead. All right.
2: I'll I'll try and hook it up after I speak here. Just for one second. Okay.
0: First thing. I here. like those earphones. Oh, reminds me of the nineteen seventies. Kind of like ah, the like the gas lines today.
2: There right? it is. <laughs> That's good. That's good. We're already uh, off to a good start. We have. I just a, know. I probably wanted to. <laughs> this is good. So I wanted to take the opportunity to thank Bundy for coming on the show. We've been wanting to have him on, and then we, you know, I kept saying to Russ. Let's wait to the end of the year. Let's wait to the end of the year, because if this if this continues to roll off the tracks like I think it's going to, it'll be so much better to have you on then to really kind of break it down, um, because I know how brutally honest you are. Um, so I want to thank you, first and foremost, for coming on the show. And, and secondly, I, w- I want to just let people know that, you know, we're going to do a lot of conversation uh, with you about uh, your new venture, which is limitless recovery um, And yes, I see you got the shirt on, which is awesome. We're going to dive into that later on in the episode. And we're really going to get into it, talk about your story. It was a great article in The Inquirer by Sam Cartieri and really kind of get into that as well. But I did want to start off by just looking at this team and breaking it down and saying what the hell went wrong. Um, And I want to start from a place where you are an expert, Chris. Okay. You played more games on defense for the Philadelphia Flyers than anybody in the history of the franchise. You were uh, here for over, you know, for a decade. You were a top pair guy for almost the entire time that you were here, um, and and defense just really fell apart this year in a sense that a lot of guys went backwards instead of progressing. Can you kind of like just take us through what you what you saw from this group of defensemen and and you, where you think they are at at this point as we as the Flyers go into
0: a, an uncertain offseason? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a fair question and a, and, a, and a tough one. I mean, when I look at the defense, I mean, clearly coming into this year, uh, I knew the Niskanen um, miss, his retirement would, would cause a little bit of disarray. And even at the beginning of the season, it wasn't as bad as I thought. It, that did catch up to them. But I'm always a believer that you can't have one guy that, you know, makes up for the entire deficit of the other five guys dressed that night. Niskanen was a good player, a really good player. He was a catalyst for Pittsburgh when they won Cups. He was a solid defender. Um, I think what he did really well was he made Provorov better. That's not saying that Niskanen is better than Provorov. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a chemistry thing, right? Like when you get two guys, it was like me and Desjardins is a great example. Eric Desjardins was a far better player than I was, but I gelled with him better than maybe other guys did. So no, I've never been shy to say that. So the first issue was they don't have, in my estimation, looking at this team at the end of the year, they don't have a number one defenseman. People are going to argue. Some people will argue me on that and say, well, they do. But I'm telling you right now, after what I just saw, they don't. So they need to fix that issue right away and find a guy who can somewhat replace Niskanen. I know last year they, they really uh, wanted to take a look at Alex Petrangelo, and he, didn't, he wanted to set his sights elsewhere. He did not have any interest in coming here. So um, – you know, that would be the first thing that I think Chuck has to do, Chuck Fletcher has to do this summer, is find a, a matching pair, a matching defenseman to, to create that top pair. And if Proveroff is that guy, that's fine. He's played well in that role before. So I, I do believe he can have a, a comeback season. The other two young defensemen for a lot, in a lot of ways, I mean, I went through it too. I'm not going to say that it doesn't happen. You know, I look at a guy like Sanheim uh, and Myers. Um, you know, those are two guys that are young. They're, I think they got caught guessing a lot this year. Uh, and if you're guessing and you're not making 100 percent sure plays, uh, you're going to be in trouble in this league, especially now that the game lacks the physicality that you used to be able to have. You know, if you if you weren't playing well before you go out and run somebody, uh, get a good hit, build some energy for your team, play hard in the zone. But overall, guys, you know, and Ghost, again, I know he had a good year offensively. Um, he had his, his own shortcomings that midseason this year. I mean, it was there was some rough nights, um, some really crooked scores that they got hooked with. And, um, you know, and, and, and again, it comes down to goaltending, you know, that how much goaltending, what, you know, save their bacon last year, how many, you know, 10 bell chances, a lot of them went in this year. So, you know, it's it was a tough year to gauge, but overall the defense, I mean, one thing that I did think that they could have done a better job of, and I, I hate taking uh, you know, shots at players in general, but uh, they had to have more compete. Like, I mean, when you're back there, battle for your space don't just let a guy put his stick on the ice in front of the net and tap it in. You know, when you go into a corner, go in with, with assertiveness, you know, pin that guy for a second, get the puck up the boards and do your job. But the plays in front of that, even from a guy like Proveroff this year, you know, who I'd come to expect pretty solid uh, play. I mean, he was missing assignments in front of the net. That is stuff you learn in in bantam hockey. Um, So again, you know, you're going to hear a lot about the lack of practice time this year that hurt them. Uh, And it did. Yeah. There's no question. The problem is, though, guys, that there's 30 other teams this year that are going through the exact same thing. So, you know, when I when I listened to the presser yesterday, uh, you know, I mean, everybody wants to, to forget a miserable year in the NHL. Teams will do that. Uh, but it certainly was not all COVID related. There was uh, there was a lack of compete in the meat and potatoes of this season. And um, as people said, it was disastrous. I mean, not the, the, the game against the Rangers didn't absolutely just blasted. And the fans can see through that. You know, it was another night. Uh, I think they they'd lost a game and uh, maybe someone gotten hurt and they played Washington the next night. And they lost like 6-0 or 6-1 it ended up being. I mean, was, you know, if you're competing hard, put laying it all out there night after night, no matter who you are, there's no fighting anymore. There's not even a physical uh, aspect that they had 20 years ago. Not in the same, it's not in the same realm. But you can give a little bit more and a little bit more communication. But I think all in all, it's, it's an engagement thing for the defensemen. They got to be more proactive than they were. You can't sit around... Uh, and hoping good things happen or hoping that your goalie makes a save.
1: So when we look at like some of these young defensemen, so you I, you mentioned like right off the top that you didn't think that Ivan Provorov proved to be a number one. I think I would agree with you. I think a lot of people uh, might have to come around to that. You know, it was the thing that we talked about going into the season, the Patrick Linea sweepstakes was probably going to cost you Ivan Provorov at the time, Anthony and I went back and forth about like, does it make sense to even consider it? And it was like, well, you know, if you're going to get a guy who's a 45 goal scorer, then maybe you have to at least think about it. And all along, I think Anthony and I both agreed that like the idea of throwing Ivan Provorov on an island by himself with at the time what was expected to be Phil Myers seemed like a really irresponsible thing to do as an organization. You're going to see a cascading effect where you're not going to have a solid top pair. And that's obviously going to trickle down and it's going to cause all kinds of disruptions in, you know, your your defensive (coughs) pairs. When you look at guys like Travis Sanheim and Phil Myers, who are both big bodied defensemen, they might not be, you know, fully Fully filled out at this point. They're both still young. But when you look at guys who have the physical characteristics, who have the frame of Sandheim and especially Myers, and they're constantly getting bullied, you know, in front of net, is that, like, how much of that is mental and how much of that is just, it really is just the fact that, like, they, they are not filled in at this point.
0: I think, I I don't want to say physically they're not ready to play. I mean, they are, they're what, they're 23, maybe somewhere in and around that age pushing 24. So, you know, I mean, again, by that time you're physically mature, you're probably, you know, entering your prime at at that age, you know, 25, 26, the league's gotten younger. You know, I, I, again, I would say to those guys, if, if we are back there, you know, and again, they're good skaters, use your abilities that you're good at. You know, if you're a good skater, get wheel the puck, make the simple play. Um, too many games this year, you know, there, there was, and again, you know, I'm, I'm sensitive to it because I've been back there. It's a hard league when guys are dumping pucks in on you and, and shoveling stuff in your corner. But you can't just reverse it back up the same boards and hope that somebody gets it. You've got to make plays with the puck. Uh, that's never really changed. I mean, defensemen, top pair defensemen, top four guys, have got to find a way to get the puck to the fours as efficiently as possible. It's not perfect all the time, but you can't simply – you know, play the puck off the boards and around the corner. It's just too hard. So I would tell guys like that to fill in, and and it's a mental thing, I think a lot of the time, use your best assets. But every player has to know what their best asset is. Those two guys you just mentioned is skating. Now, if you ask me if it was Shane Goss' bear, his best asset is not skating. Uh, You know, it's shiftiness. uh, It's getting the pucks on the net. So everybody brings a little bit. Robert Haig's best asset is him playing good, solid defense in the zone, you know, moving the puck when he can Justin Braun played his whole career like that, very similar to the style I played defensively. He's just an older defenseman right now. But those are the things that I think defensemen have to figure out, you know, I mean, and defend. Like you have, you know, you talk all the time, you know, they say you know teams that have a guy like that, they're they're more difficult on them sometimes when you're a big defensive defenseman. But how much did this team need a big defensive defenseman this year? I mean, Mm -hmm. that's what we were hoping we had, but we didn't have it. None of them, there was nothing that presented that every night, that stopper that went out and just wrecked somebody in the corner, set the tone for the other D and then everybody fills in and does their job. And then that's how you get yourself in a, um, you know, a nice role. You know, you're comfortable every single shift and that just didn't happen enough, but that big defensive guy, that one block here and there, that one stop on a two-on-one or a one-on-one, they make huge plays. The Flyers defense again this year, they got beat way too many times on -on one-on-ones as well. Uh, both out of the corner, in front of the net, and on 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 uh, full length one on ones,
2: Bunny. That's hockey sense. Can you teach hockey sense at this point? You know, once you're at the pro level. I mean, I mean that to me, it's almost like you have you have to have it kind of inherently, right?
0: Yeah, I, I think you do. I mean, there's there's I mean, listen, I, there's lots of guys that, that have played in this league uh, for multiple years that not did not have great hockey sense. So uh, I just think though, defensively, you now you have to be creative. Uh, there's so much short puck movement that happens now inside the zone. and you know, I thought a lot of the time, too, another part that, that killed the Flyers a lot, that some of those long type of breakout plays or trying to make long plays up the boards, it just that's very hard to work consistently like that, uh, especially if a defenseman's hugging the boards in the offensive zone and you're trying to get the puck out. Hockey sense is a big part of it. Yeah, there is. Just having that little feeling, right, that, that's, that sense where you're going back and saying, okay, I know there's a guy behind me. I know that guy's going over to the far corner. What's my best play? Is it maybe wheeling, making a play into the middle? Is it getting my legs going and skating the puck? That's hockey sense. That's the stuff you're talking about, Anthony, right there that, you know, some guys get some guys don't get as much. I will say this. I mean, everybody's in the NHL. I mean, they're good talents. There's no question about it. But there's there's absolutely a faction that involves a, a piece of the game where guys have to think it better. And some guys, I mean, I play with them are not capable of thinking, thinking the game better.
2: Now, we, we criticize defense a lot this year, but it doesn't always fall on the six guys better back there right I mean a lot of a lot of this is team defense and I, I don't think that you you had much help from the forwards uh at times especially in March I mean those games in March when you're losing nine nothing and eight three and six one and whatever the hell the scores were those games I I feel like those th- there was a lot missing that wasn't just your defensemen aren't doing the right job I think that there was that the forwards just weren't helping out at all
0: well don't get me wrong I mean I any good defense? I mean, let me let me tell you. I mean, when I played defense with Desjardins, it was sure nice having uh, Keith Primo or Lindros out there. You know, I mean, both responsible defensive guys, big players physically. Uh, they would take up space, to, uh, create their own space. I mean, very dependable hockey players as well as they were as good as they were offensively. Especially a guy like Eric. Uh, but both guys, you know, that's nice to have. That you don't have a guy coming back there. Like if you're going back as a center to help the two D. And you're just going to go back there and put the seat of your pants into a guy. That's not going to do any good. That guy's going to slip off you. You're going to get outworked and you're going to make your defense look like fools. So it is always, it's always a four man game back there. The two goalies, usually the center and uh, or the, the two defensemen, the goalie and the center. And there's got to be a lot of communication that goes on. You've almost, it's almost got to be like a machine that every time you step out on the ice, it's programmed. You gonna make mistakes some nights, you know, even when you have a long time partner. Uh, but, but that's, that's a really big part of it. The center iceman this year for the team, uh, even Coots, who's a very reliable guy did not have his best season defensively in the zone. I know he had some injury issues. Uh, He's a guy that comes to play every single night. So I'm very, you know, leaning as a Selkie trophy winner last year, dependable hockey player, but he didn't have a great year either in the zone when you just look at some of the plays back. So that's the center iceman. And whether it's a winger back or not, there's gotta be more communication and there has gotta be a more determined effort by especially the three skaters that are back there. That's usually below the, you know, the tops of the, or the, the bottoms of the circles fighting to get that puck out against the other three, three forwards in the opposition.
1: So let's dive in on two of the centers. who I think have been lightning rods in a sense. So one is Kevin Hayes. Who's your big money signing from a season ago, who, whose play fell off and there are myriad reasons why that happened. Um, but from what you saw of a guy who last season seemed to be a good all situations player, a guy who really made a lot of people look foolish, including us last season in terms of the way that we evaluated his deal and what kind of player he could be. He exceeded those expectations, but maybe equally underwhelmed to the same degree this season. Uh, If you can talk a little bit about what you saw from him, as well as the former number two, overall pick Nolan Patrick, who was on a, show me deal this year and showed little to nothing
0: yeah i mean and again you know i'm not as i'm not as soft on the big guys i mean to me those big guys have got to take a huge bite of the apple i know nolan patrick had uh, a very difficult two years prior anybody you know i always tell people you know what, you got to walk a mile in another guy's shoes with an injury to find out really what that what that guy's going through the problem is with, I'm just saying with Noel Patrick, he's got a wealth of, of talent. If he can somehow encapsulate that whole package, put it together with desire, will, heart, dedication, you got yourself probably a really good hockey player. But we didn't see any of that this year. We saw a guy that would play on the perimeter, look sometimes like he was maybe skeptical to hit the corner at full speed, you know, in case they get hit, he's had, he's had an injury. We know what he's gone through. Kevin Hazel on the other side of it. I know this was an odd year. It was. And I know the GM said it, it was a different strange season starting in you know, January. Uh, but he got paid prime player money, um, big time money. And for him to have come in and really had an outstanding season last year, I thought he was excellent. I really did all the way through, I thought he was a real staple for this team last year. And I really felt that even with his reputation coming in, they said a lot of people said, hey, he's not worth that kind of money. Why are the Flyers paying him that kind of Well, they First of all, they needed another body in here. They needed a center. Um, this year, I don't know what happened. Uh, he, there were some games he was good. There was other games where he was completely invisible. And most games, I'd say a lot more than not, there was games that I didn't notice him as much as the games where he should have been noticeable. Again, I go look at those meat and potato games mid-season there's not a whole lot of positives guys there's not a whole lot of players you could say wow that guy was awesome even though the team stunk it was a collective stink by just about everybody and that is a really really hard thing to achieve uh, at this level so I mean it was it was a foul smell all over the place and there was and everybody knew it the fans knew it management knew it the coaches knew it the players knew it Um, so what do you do about it that's the magic question right so that's where we head into the offseason now and they got to dissect again where they're at with this team and what they're going to come back with and what they're going to put on the ice for the fans next year.
2: You know, when when you had a run, when you have runs like that during a season, and I know this year was unique in the sense that it was right. one game on top of another, on top of another, on top of another. Um, usually, you have an, a, an opportunity in that locker room to to kind of you know snap each other out of it a little bit and you played with some guys who were just unbelievable leaders in, in the locker room. I mean, even, you know, you were a vocal guy yourself, but do you, do you get a sense that maybe there's just not that personality on this team? It's missing that kind of identity in that locker room of, of people. I mean, you know, Giroux going to hold you accountable, but on a much quieter scale, Couturier is a quiet leader type Provorov's quiet. I mean, all the guys who you look at the guys who all have letters I mean, they're all kind of quiet guys. I mean, Voracek, all right, but he's a unique bird in a different way. Um, <laughs> and that's an really then, kind way to put it. Well, done. Yeah, well, I'm trying. I'm trying to be nice. And, uh, and and then Kevin Hayes, you know, he you know he wore an A as well. But I mean, really, it just seems like that it's missing that that hammer in the locker room, right? Fair to say?
0: Yeah, and you know, and again, you know, I look back at uh, any time I take a look at a team and a bad stretch of games during the season, I go back to was it 99, 2000? I think it was 99. We couldn't win a game. Couldn't get out of our own way. We, we hadn't won in 12 straight. We had a few ties in there before the, the shootout started. Uh, but there was somebody every game, you know, pushing after like, guys, we got to get out of this. You know, yeah. I now, mean, I mean, I did, I was very much around this locker room for a lot of years too. And radio with the same group of guys, I man don't really know Kevin Hayes as much. I, you know, I got, to, but I got, you know, between the benches, you see a lot, you know, walking back up the hallway. It is a quiet group. It is. There's not a loud guy that's going to just, that really boosts everything. I would have heard it. I mm-hmm. would have heard it. I never did. Um, like I said, some nights, you know, like, I mean, I go back to the Wayne Simmons days before he was here. I mean, thank God he was here because if I, if he wasn't here there, you know, I'd have been asleep between the benches some nights. Um, so thank, thank you, Wayne Simmons. God bless you. <laughs>
1: So can you, uh, I guess like to add another layer of context to that, because, you know, like the NHL and the Flyers, you know, don't necessarily do a great job of, of giving people an idea of like who these guys are. The NHL is not a great player marketing league. I think we can all probably agree to that. When you see viral clips of Kevin Hayes, you know, in the, in the tunnel, nicknames and, and, you know, kind of yucking it up with the guys and a season ago, like that was great. Kept the guys loose. It was kind of a tight locker room the, the year before. Uh, maybe afraid to always make mistakes and and things kept spiraling out of control. When you face a season like this, where everything has just gone to hell in a handbasket, where March is just a disaster,
0: yeah.
1: d- does that kind of stick wear thin? Does that kind of stick not land the same? Do you potentially just see that kind of go away altogether because having having those kind of fun, fun-ish moments while everything's just kind of going wrong,
0: yeah, like and, you know, I can I answer that honestly because I, in, in many ways, I was a guy like Kevin Hayes, you know, keep the locker room loose. Anthony was around then. I mean, that's, you know, that's what I did. As much as I was as serious as I was, I also had an affinity for making sure guys were loose, ready to play, have some fun, be the brunt of my own joke. I think is important. Uh, that's a tough line to toe, and it's the worst job to have when the team's not going good. So, from Kevin Hayes' standpoint, I appreciate what he's trying to do. Uh, but yeah, I mean, when you're losing like that, I mean, when you've given up the most goals in a month since 1991 in like, you know, flying puck era, uh, you know, you have to really take a quick look at what's gone on. Uh, and there's no time in a month like that for any of that kind of, any of that kind of stuff for us, really. I mean, he's not going to do it. I mean, it just, it's just not a shtick you can keep going because your focus is how are we going to get out of this? How are we going to stay up in the standings? So we're not, you know, chasing people with 10 games left to go. Fortunately, that's exactly what happened. But that's a tough job. You know, Jonesy, I've seen Keith Jones do that job. It's uh, Luke Richardson, myself. And we always had good guys doing it, but we were older veteran guys. And we had the right group of guys. So I think you have to know your own audience in a lot of ways. Uh, And that's just a matter of kind of figuring that out. And, And, you know, I had the luxury of being around a long time too. So I'd seen lots of guys coming in and out, coaches coming in and out. And we always had a pretty good core that stayed together for for a long time. So I was always comfortable in that, but certainly knew my time and place, uh, which I would assume Kevin does too.
2: Yeah, I, I think I think personalities have changed. I think that the twenty twenty one hockey player is not like the hockey player from from your era in, in, in any way, shape, or form. And I say that because you know it's funny. I was thinking about this today. I was just trying to think of some old stories, and I thought you know I remember a time I don't forget what year it was. It might have been oh three oh four or something along those lines. Um, I, I mid-season I did like I did grades uh, for all you play for all the players and I think I gave you a c-plus and I walked in the locker room and you let me have it you f-bombed me left right and center you're like I've been busted my ass out there and and you sure. give me a c-plus
0: <laughs> right? right
2: but I mean you weren't but you weren't alone like there were a lot of guys who would, who would have that same kind of attitude about you, you know about yo, oh, yeah you think so I'll prove you wrong kind of thing and today's generation, it, it just almost seems like they're eh, like, it's, it's almost like that nothing, nothing phases them. They don't really, it doesn't really bother them. They're just going to go play hockey and then go home and do their thing. And there's no, I, I just feel like it, it, it's missing that chutzpah that you guys used to have.
0: I, and there's no question that the athlete, the, the young person of today is a different generation than the one that you saw probably end uh, maybe 2004, 2005 was kind of the last of the, of that type of attitude. I don't want to say like, like I have three daughters and a son and uh, you know, my daughters are all basketball players, but the one thing I told them is just work hard. And if it's not going good with points, get a rebound. Now it's like, everybody wants them to get a goal or get a point, you know, shoot the puck to score. But is it, are there different guys now? They are, you know, I mean uh, what, you know, I'll say it like I got benched my third year in the NHL. It was a, it was a nine game benching out of like 13 games. It changed my career. It also changed who I was as a person because I realized that, you know, and, and to me, when I went home every night, I was terrified, petrified that I'd be out of this league if I didn't get my stuff together and start playing a better game. And I came back better than I'd ever, ever been. I was 97, went to the, the cup finals, uh, but I handled it the right way. But I, you know, I look back now, if you put a same guy in that position now, I don't know if they have that same kind of fear uh, of, uh, of losing something or that, that, uh, you know, I think the, the difference is back then is you have a guy like me coming. in. I was not a tough guy I, and most guys are not. But the league makes you feel like you are and they, they bring you into the fold to play that kind of a role. Right. And it doesn't mean fighting. It just means being a harder guy to play against um, with a little bit of sandpaper. And that's that's the difference. today. It's not just hockey, guys. It's football. It's it's basketball. I mean, it's, it, you know, Um one thing that I saw this year in games that that really, I don't want to say, disappointed me. It upset me. There was times this year I deliberately saw guys miss finishing a check when it was there, like they turned on purpose, um, it, and more than once. And I thought, was that like, am I just seeing that? Then I saw it again and again and again. That's ridiculous. You mm-hmm. can't play the game like that. You can't be received by your fan base in a city like Philadelphia where you're going to pass up checks and pass up an opportunity to compete. That's all they want to see in this town is an effort, Mm -hmm. right? Like the old saying, and we talked about this a while ago, Anthony, right? Like Philadelphia will, if your team stinks and you work hard, they're still going to love you because you carry the, you wear that crest. Mm -hmm. If you stink and you're not working, you're going to have a double whammy. And that doesn't happen very often in this town. It's too smart a sports town. The people are too bright about their, their history of their sports, their favorite sports and the Philadelphia Flyers. We all know what they were built on. Every player that played from that 74, 75 team. Uh, we tried to carry that message through whether we were built like those guys or not, that was the enduring message that we wanted to carry. And that's changed so, everywhere now. That's not just Philadelphia. That's everywhere.
2: guys.
1: So that kind of issue seemed like it was, it was across the board. Is that so that 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 makes it systemic. So then the question is, is this because the team didn't have the requisite practice time that Elaine Vino said in his press conference at the end of the season that they they didn't have? Is it a, a matter of guys just kind of tuning out the message of the the coach and the leadership core as things, you know, continue to, to go poorly. Is it just a lack of intrinsic motivation on each individual player's part? Like how, where, do, where does that blame fall? Because if it's not just one guy when it it becomes a team wide thing, who does it fall on? Who should it fall on?
0: It's an interesting one. And you know what? And only because Philadelphia has had a, they haven't had a revolving door, right? They've had a revolving door of coaches um, for years. I mean, since I've been here, but they haven't had a revolving door of players in the last decade here. They've had the same core. Um, They're in the playoffs. They're out of the playoffs. They're in, they're out. They're in, they went around, they're out. That's been the trend here in Philadelphia. And that that is, I'm not, you know, demeaning anything about the team. I'm just saying, that's what we've seen. That's what we've gotten used to. So, you know, again, and, and I go back to taking a guy like Craig Berube, who I knew would be an unbelievable coach. Two other coaches here when I was broadcasting, because I used to hang out with that group, with Berube. I'd be right next to them before a game. And every guy would say, you know, when Berube gets a chance, he'll win a cup somewhere. And I hope it's here. <laughs> How many other coaches in the last hundred years have taken the last place team on January 3rd and won a cup with them? Right. You know? So I'm, I'm going to say this. You know, I'm not willing to just completely throw the head coach under the bus. I'm done throwing coaches under the bus here because uh, A.V.'s proven. And again, he's had some very good goaltending in his past. Uh, Luongo, Lundqvist. I think he had Carter coming in. It didn't work out this year with Carter. Do I think it will in the future? I do. I think he's going to come back and he's going to be fine. There's no reason to think. It's the first time this ever happened in his career. Um, But that said, where I'm not blaming the coach, there sure did. And I'm sure you guys would feel the same way if you talked to other fans there sure looked like some kind of a disconnect between the players and the coach. Um, And I'm not, and again, I I just, this is a second year. Why did everything work so well last year? I mean, if it's really practice practice doesn't make up for your ability to compete on the ice. It doesn't at all. Practice gets you fine-tuned, getting the puck, uh, you know, on the tape, uh, getting shots through the net, uh, getting your, you know, your, your wind up, but it doesn't have anything to do with the compete level. I can assure you when guys step on the ice, there was a lot of games, like Anthony said, but those guys, are they, they should be ready to play, at least come out with a passion to know, you. hey, you got a game in the NHL, and you're going to go out there and work your ass off. That's the way I would look at it.
2: Um, you mentioned Carter, and I, I agree with you that uh, I do think he's going to bounce back, and I think he'll be fine. Um, we, we've seen this in the past with goalies who, who've, you know, they get the, to this age, and then all of a sudden they face adversity for the first time, and, and they struggle a little bit. You um, you know, I, you know. Recently, when we go back to 2010, Carey Price had it happen. He got benched for Halak, right? And Halak carried the Canadians to the conference finals before losing the Flyers. And we, we can go way back. I mean, Mike Richter, 90, 94, the year before, he was sent down to the AHL for a week because he was playing so poorly. Then next year comes back, wins the Stanley Cup with the Rangers. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it happens, okay? Um, um, but – The one thing that I found interesting from the press conference yesterday is is Chuck Fletcher comes out and says, we really need to reevaluate our goaltending. It's something that's been a problem here for a long time. And to hear him say that, I was like, whoa, 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 wait, where are you going with this, Chuck? Like, is this something that you you sit there and say, are they thinking of bringing someone? Obviously, I don't think Brian Elliott's going to be back, but are they thinking of bringing somebody in to kind of push Carter a little bit more? Maybe somebody who's younger who could. Potentially play multiple games if Carter Hart's struggling again at the beginning of next season.
0: Well, I, I think it's it, it probably you know. And again, it's an interesting comment you make, but it's probably something that's on the table. I would mm-hmm. think so, right? Like, I mean, they could say, "Oh, he had a bad year, and uh, we're gonna, uh, you know, we're gonna go back with him, and we're just gonna use uh, Felix Sandstrom as a backup." That that won't happen. So whether they upgrade Brian Elliott, who, by the way, I thought did a great job here in his tenure in Philadelphia, I thought he was a solid professional. I enjoyed working with him when he was here. Mm-hmm. A good person. So, but again, and, you know, so is Carter Hart. He's a great kid. You're really, really good kid, too. So, you know, again, but it's not about being a good kid. It's about stopping pucks. Uh, and, and the one thing that we saw from him uh, is uh, we've seen a dynamite side to him, right? We've seen incredible stops. We've seen a flair for the dramatic. We've seen a confident kid. This year, he appeared to lose all of that. And as you said, Anthony Wright, like, you know, Carey Price, people forget that. They're like, oh, yeah, Halak played that year. And it felt like Halak was at the end of the road for him, too. Great. So that's what it was. It was almost uh, – and he's still playing, which is incredible. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it's amazing. Maybe yeah. it'll be Halak here next year. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so, uh, my God, I hope not. But yeah. uh, anyway, uh, that that's that's what it's at. And uh, But I do think, you know, Chuck, Chuck saying that probably means he's going to get another veteran goaltender of some sort. But I think they have to be very, very careful, too, because there's a there's a a psyche with a goaltender. And I don't know, you know, I don't know Carter's personality that well to say if he brings somebody else in and he considers a real challenge, is that going to just totally put him back on his heels again? I don't know the answer to that. He hasn't had to deal with that yet. He's only been received and perceived as the man uh, until, you know, a a midseason this year for the most part.
1: If you extend that back, though, like it it seems like I guess because the last season ended the way that it did, like it's as if people have forgotten about like the home road split woes that he had in 1920, like the difference between a one six three goals against at home and a three eight one on the road, the difference between a nine forty three save percentage at home and an eight fifty seven save percentage on the road. Like those were staggering numbers. Those were a real concern. Like even when the team was playing so well down the stretch before covid, you know, stopped everything there was a legitimate question about do we start looking at more of a home road split where Brian Elliott's starting a lot of the games on the road, it was setting up that way, you know, even before COVID stopped, despite this team playing as well as they had. So what I think like when you put both of those things together, like there is enough of a sample size here to say that there should be somebody who theoretically could play maybe not a, not a 60, a 40 split, but maybe a little bit closer to that than what you could have gotten out of Brian Elliott, right? Like if, if they had actually addressed that this past offseason, does that maybe allow this team to stay afloat a little bit better than they did, and maybe take a little bit of the pressure off him? Like, did they go too hard into the Carter Hart camp the same way that they did with the Sanheim and Myers on the backside?
0: You mean just pushing them in too quickly instead of giving them time to to develop? Yeah, yeah, yeah like like it's just yeah, a misvaluation I mean- of what he was ready for. It's hard with goaltenders, you know, like they, they had him up here and and he'd been sold, like, again, you know, he'd been received and perceived as a man. And this has been such a goaltending uh, hungry market, right? Like it's been, you know, I mean, if you look at the, the positions in Philadelphia, it's goaltending, quarterback, and starting pitcher uh, for all intents and purposes, you know. So, uh, you know, we, we hinge, we've hinged. Philadelphians, unfortunately, have suffered a lot with goaltending uh, for the last uh, – since – I mean, there's been some good ones. I mean, there's been some great ones. They just haven't gotten over the hump since Bernie in 75. But um, that's a a good question, Russ. I don't know. I I, I mean, other guys, young goalies have played, uh, you know, that were considered really dynamite young talent. And I don't think Carter Hart was really any different than any of those other type of players. I mean, his award's coming in. I was talking to Bill Meltzer about this, even like last week. He said this is the first time in his career he's ever had such – Uh, that he's ever struggled in terms of his numbers and repetitive bad starts and allowing soft goals. So I think from that standpoint, you know, it's – it's he's never had to deal with that, and I think it's a matter of him getting out of it. But in terms of him being in the minors a little bit more, I'm a believer if you're young enough, it never hurts to get a few more games down there if you're just – if they don't think you're quite ready. Uh, But he had one heck of a start. What do you have, like an 8 no start when he started? You couldn't couldn't do anything with him then. He just kept winning game after game. And when you go, eight, no, sometimes it might be the best thing to happen to a guy. Sometimes it could be the worst thing to happen to one more guy. And and he's in no matter what, right? Like he's your guy. And you never allowed the kid a chance to come up for air.
2: One more player. I want to ask you about from this team. And as we put the the nail final nails in the coffin here, Uh, Travis Konechny. you know, he was expected to be, you know, a, a, a top end forward, I mean, I remember early in the season when he got he got benched and, and A.V. called him one of the top three players on the team. Um, I, I just didn't see Travis Konechny become a guy or play like a guy that should be a 35-goal scorer, 30-35-goal 30, scorer. instead. I think we saw a guy who ultimately is probably a 20-goal scorer in the NHL, year in, year out, can you know give you some great games and give you some games where he's not – not there at all. And I'm a little concerned that he's maybe not as good as we thought that he was going to be.
0: Yeah. There's a few guys I think like that, you know, and again, you know, I think what was unique with Travis, um, another, a good kid, you know, cares about the game, he's prepared. He goes out. He, he's got it He's another one though. In a, in a lot of ways, like Kevin Hayes, uh, this year, um, I just didn't notice him some nights, you know? And, and I think with Travis, uh, one thing that did happen, I watched a lot of games. He was really pressing the score. I mean, it became uh, an obsession for him, and you could tell the way he was gripping his stick, uh, making hope plays again that he didn't make as many last year. Uh, the problem with a winger, though, the thing with a winger is if if you're not um, if you're not scoring, a league, you know, every two or three games, you know, every couple or or third game, and you, and you're uh, you're a guy that they have high value, and you end up becoming a, a guy who um, becomes available to everybody, right, over time. So I hope that's not the case with him. Uh, I think that we've seen some, some good play, but he's another guy again, this summer uh, heading into training camp. He's got to figure it out. They, the guys they have and whether they can do it or not, I'm willing to take one more look at, at these younger guys again next year, just to be sure, because the way they're set up right now, there's no way they're going to be able to form a team. That's going to win a Stanley cup next year anyway. So you may as well have a look at, at Your younger guys a little bit more in depth and connect me now is not so much the veteran anymore as a guy you got to reevaluate. Uh but I do think that he and, and what I am saying is the player needs to understand as much as anybody, their own value to the team. Like you have to recognize, hey, I'm an important player to this team. These, these guys need me to score the odd goal. Uh, and that's a difficult thing. I've seen goal scorers guy, guys go through uh, uh, awful times trying to score goals. And it is uh, it changes who they are. It really does. Even off the ice, it's uh, very debilitating. That's why my dad made me play defense. He says, don't ever rely on anybody to score goals. You'll be screwed, kid. He told me that about eight years old. And that was after that, I played D. So he knew pretty early on it was never going to happen. So, so that's what I did. And I went one year getting one goal, and nobody said a damn word about it. <laughs> nobody called me in and said a word. But that, that's my point with goal scoring. It's, it's, a, it's, it's great when they're going in. But if you're not, uh, if you haven't had an Alexander Ovechkin resume, uh, historically where people say, you know, he'll catch up to that then you could be, could be in for a long year.
1: <laughs> there was one thing that you mentioned in there really quick that I think is going to catch some, uh, some people maybe off guard. You said that you don't think that they have a way to, to construct a Stanley cup winning team next season as, as you know, as it looks. So there are a few parts to that one, uh, there have been questions about Elaine Vigneault and his desire to return next year. Anthony like tried six times in the press conference to try to get him to say that he's not coming back and it didn't work. Okay. So AV, you know, one ups Anthony, but if this team can't compete for a cup, like if, if we're being realistic about it, we're not doing the old, Oh, everybody competes. Just get into the postseason, see what happens. If that's the case, Elaine Vigneault is supposed to be a win. Now coach Chuck Fletcher was supposed to be the, the man of action in, in a sense, and he has not been to this point. Uh, one, do you think there is a chance that Elaine Vigneault were, would end up walking away? And two, do you think that Chuck Fletcher has the ability and has shown enough in the past to make anyone believe that he can push the chips in and, and really could rebuild this roster on the fly like Paul Holmgren did, you know, a decade ago?
0: Yeah, I mean, that was, that was unbelievable what Homer did. And, I, you know, every time I when I said that, I was kind of hesitant because, you know, he did flip a franchise in a year, you know, they went from. From worst to not to first, but I mean they were certainly a lot better. I mean, it was they got some quality players in here, but it was really it was it was a three or four guys, big changeover defenseman, and Hartnell come in and team in it. So, I mean, again, you know, you look at a, you look at a chemo team in it, right? That's a that's a guy that could change the kind of look of your entire back end. And he did for five years or whatever, however long he was here. Um, I hate to, I, I don't want to to speak about what I think AV's future is. I don't know the man, uh, like in terms of what his future is. I know one thing, guys, I, if I had a three years and $5 million left uh, on uh, each year, 15 million bucks, I wouldn't be walking anywhere except the Wawa. Uh, so, you know, again, I'm not, uh, you know, again, there's a business piece to this that I think he's well aware of. So unless he's walking and uh, saying, you know what, you guys keep the 15, it's all good. Uh, I, I, have a feeling uh, that he'll be back unless he's removed from, from that position, but I would have think, I would think that would have already been done based upon the Rangers firing their coach, um, and other ones, Rick Tockett as well. So, uh, and Chuck, you know, Chuck's I, uh, a, GM that I, I, mildly paid attention to over the years, Minnesota for the most part, guys, uh, you know, no disrespect was an in, insignificant team for, uh, about 20 years now. They really were, um. They, you know, they had some nice players, uh, but it was the, when he f- picked up Zach Parise and Ryan uh, Ryan Souter. certainly they got better. They were two guys from the same area, and he was able to pluck those guys, and Miko Koivu was there for forever. He was a lot like Claude Giroux in a lot of ways, you know, the, the dependable uh, guy that the fans, you know, got accustomed to. But I don't know. I mean, those are his decisions. I, it all based, It's all based on money, guys, and I don't have that spreadsheet in front of me right now. But I will say this, and I've been pretty open about it. Uh, this team has to get better. I I don't think they can return with status quo. It's not going to work. It's not going to be something that you're going to be able to go out and tell the fans. Like I said, they're too smart in this city, especially the hockey fans. You can't say you got a really, really good team uh, and expect everybody to just believe it. The only thing that sells that and defines that is wins. If you're winning games, people are going to be behind you. But uh, as I see this team right now and what I just saw this year, uh, they got a long way to go.
2: All right. You, you mentioned in your, uh, you remember, you know, in your career, the seasons you only got one goal and nobody gave you a hard time. I wanted. I, I have a story to tell, but I want to ask you first if you remember your first NHL goal.
0: I do. I do.
2: do you, that, uh,
0: I mean, I, I'll know. I mean, everybody. You know what's funny though? I got to tell you this. I could. <laughs> this is probably the. I might be the only guy in league history this happened to. I actually couldn't remember who the goalie was for like three times when someone asked me. And, and it was against the Washington Capitals. Yep. I, I nicked the top of a shin pad and it went in up over the blocker of uh, Rick Tabarachi.
2: Yep. That's yep. correct. Yep. I, that's correct. And here's how I, here's how I remember it because I will never forget it. Uh, it was on my 21st birthday <laughs> and I was in college in Washington, DC and we were out of the bar And my friends and I were there wherever, you know, everybody's buying me drinks and the caps flyers game is on the TV. And they, I said, Oh man, I'm missing the flyers game tonight. And they're like, Oh, it's your birthday. whatever, blah blah." blah. I said, well, I want to watch the game a little bit. And they were like, all right, every time a flyer scores, you have to do a car bomb. I was like, all right, fine. So your goal, I believe was the third goal of the first period. And I had just done two car bombs, and then you scored, and I had no idea who you were at the time. Yes. And I, I did my third car bomb, and immediately got sick right there in the bar, and and puked all over the place. Thanks to Chris Terry and scoring his first NHL goal.
0: That's a, what an unbelievable story that is.
2: It was on my birthday. It was February thirteenth,
0: ninety-five. Yeah. I need to help me out, Anthony.
2: Help. I need to help you out. I, don't no, like I just to feel figured...
1: bad because whenever we're up in the press box, Anthony usually pukes all over himself with his terrible opinions <laughs> on things going on. So
2: no, I just figured I just figured it was a funny story I'd bring up. I uh, yeah. A story. yeah, I thought you'd get a kick out of that. But Chris, I mean, you know one of the things that we, we obviously want to talk a lot about um, here in, in the last 15 minutes that we have you um, is obviously you know, what you're doing now and, 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 your, and your new venture with Limitless. Um, I, you know, I don't know, if Russ, if you had an opportunity to read the story that um, that Sam Carcieri did in the Inquirer, uh, all about Chris uh, and and, um, uh, and overcoming alcoholism and and, uh, and everything. And it's just a fantastic story. It's on the website yeah. if anybody hasn't seen it on Lim- limitlessrecoverycenters.com. But you can search it on the Inquirer. Just a just a fabulous, fabulous story. So I, I just wanted to kind of dive into that a little bit with you. Um, you know. First of all, I, let's let's work backwards. Yeah, yeah. Tell us a little bit about limitless recovery centers and and where this opportunity came from. I know obviously this was something you wanted to do for a while, and and it just kind of it kind of cropped up for you just kind of out of the blue.
0: So you know, again, you know, going back to the end of last season, which was uh, you know like beginning of September uh, for the yeah. Flyers, but a month after that, I got a call from NBC and from the Flyers themselves and said, we're done, we're moving on. So oh, well, that's the way it goes. So. Uh, I was disappointed, obviously, at that. But, uh, you know, again, I I'd understood what everybody was going through, um, uh, both pandemic-wise and, and teams trying to garner money it was tough. But uh, beyond that, I had, for about four years prior to that, I really had been trying uh, to start my own recovery center. Uh, I am, as I said, I'm a recovered alcoholic. I have 10 years and three months now um it was uh you know it was it was a tough I had a tough road I mean a tough road at the end of my career it was not in in the, any of the prime it was really my last year that I struggled and uh the the lockout year before that 2004 so um uh, lucky luckily enough for me I was able to uh you know I say through the grace of God you know get myself through the other side of that and uh uh become a far better person uh but my 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 feeling was always that I had and ability. And I always want that. I, I love talking to people. I've always been a people person. I love going around, uh, being able to shake hands, meet flyer fans, if you will. And, uh, I think with, with limitless recovery center, it was a situation that I, I'd found a business that was, um, uh, uh, that they were looking uh, one, one partner was looking to sell. I got another guy, we, we bought the business and it really is a treatment center for, for alcohol uh, opiates being drugs. Now you see so much heroin on the street. Now it's sad. You know, I see a lot of young kids and being a dad of kids that are from 22 to 14. I'm very, very sensitive to what I've seen. Some kids, even at high schools, college, you know, I hear Rowan university, somebody dies. That breaks my heart when I hear a story like that because it's so it's preventable. And so, uh, we also deal with mental health. Uh, a lot of other personal issues that people have with anorexia, uh, gambling issues. Um, we don't have as many of those really, truly treatment of of drug and alcohol for the most part and mental health. Uh, But it's been, I think at the end of the day, you know, I mean, I I had a great productive career here, both as a player and a broadcast for many years. It was uh, one of the great, I mean, one of the greatest opportunities I had in my life to be in the household of Philadelphians for 27 years and having to put up, put up with me for all that time. But, you know, this is a, this is a a venture that uh, is very near and dear to me. I've, I've had hundreds of people reach out just the four months, uh, that we've been open in terms of my ownership of of limitless and it, and it will be, I know at the end of the day, it'll be the greatest journey that I will have ever embarked on. It will be my last stop. Philadelphia meant that much to me that I wanted it to be inside the city limits. So we found a spot specifically inside the uh, city limits. It's in Fishtown. Um, it's a great place. We have great counselors, great, great clinicians. Uh, and we've had great reception from the public. You know, I couldn't, you can't do it without people that want to get help for a loved one or someone calling for themselves. Uh, we usually get a call from the parent or uh, a spouse, a girlfriend, boyfriend. Uh, but but it is, uh, it's something that is, is truly dear to me. Uh, it's important to me. Uh, I remember my struggles. You know, I knew I, how I felt there before I, I finally figured it all out. Uh, I never figured it out. I should change that uh, wording somehow. Before I, I turned the corner uh, and uh, and got sober you know and that's it's uh, the life I live now it's not perfect uh but you know I do it now without any drink and I think anybody that talks to me I go to the alumni tournament you go for any alumni tournament seems like a third of the guys don't drink anymore anyway uh you know but that was the culture you know of hockey and uh you know I look back at it I don't have any regrets you know I enjoyed my career I enjoyed the times I went out I didn't enjoy the end you know it's uh, the the journey took took me to an end of uh Uh, of alcoholism. That was awful. Uh, And I'd lost my sister in the process uh, right at the height of my alcoholism. So uh, 2006 was my worst year of my life. Uh, Some people may say 2020, 2006 was mine. And uh, you know, I, uh, I got sober, kind of went in and out a little bit, but ultimately in 2011, February 7th was the last time that I'd uh, ever picked up a drink. And from that day on, I've helped countless amounts of people getting them into AA, getting them into recovery and uh, I couldn't be prouder of what we're doing as a team.
1: Given everything that's happening, you mentioned 2020 was, uh, you know, for a lot of people, the worst year they've ever had. People suffered a lot of loss. People lost a lot of loved ones. Um, you know, I- isolation just a hell of a, of a lot to you. Yeah. In, in terms of like what has happened with uh, with your center, have you seen any kind of uh, or of real change? Has there been an uptick has, as the world started to open up you know, again, have have you started to see people that are more willing to to come out of of their respective bubbles and, and really try to get help? Did it stay pretty consistent throughout the the past year through the pandemic? How how did
0: that affect that's things? A, that's a great question, Russ. Yeah, and you know what? Um, I actually looked at Limitless going back before the pandemic, and it, it did fell through. It was very quick. We'll take a look, see if you're interested. It didn't work out then they actually got busier at the beginning of it. And they got more, we got more busy towards the, uh, uh, as the calendar year turned to 2021. Yeah. People are at home. I mean, you wouldn't believe some of the calls that I've got uh, professionals drinking on the job. Like I'm not, I'm not throwing anyone under the bus. These are real life problems, real life things that happen to people. And and it doesn't matter if you, whatever your job, you'd be a lawyer, a doctor, uh, a bus driver, a hockey player, a football player. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, it, it has, it has no bias. It doesn't pick and choose. Uh, and you'd be absolutely stunned if I told you the, some of the people that we get coming in or calling, at least inquiring uh, is, is, is unbelievable. It makes me feel good that they have enough trust in, in, in me, but me sharing my story, letting them know that, you know what, the biggest thing for me guys is the stigma. Take the stigma out of it. You know, you, you're not, you're not a loser. You're not degenerate. You're, you know, your brain cells don't burn like contrary to people say, you have a choice to make the right decisions in life, to do the right thing, to be a better father, a better person, a better friend. And uh, and that's what I've tried to do. And, and, and if I was still drinking, I never would have that choice. I'd never have that opportunity to do that. So I'm grateful for it. I've been down that road. I've been to hell and back. And I'm very, very sensitive to that person. I'm, I'm a hugger. When someone wants to come to me, I want them to understand I've been there and, and let them know that's it's okay. You know, some people are a little rougher. Like you know, get yourself straightened out, and the hell with the rest of this. Yes, I'm I'm not like that. I you know I I remember how I felt it, and, and I'm and I'm very very sensitive to to somebody who's struggling with addiction.
2: And you talk about the st- stigma. It, it, is that really the hardest part for people to get past the yeah. the fact that they feel the fact that they feel like that if someone finds out that oh my I've I've got a problem, then it's going to be the worst thing in the world. Is that, is that like kind of the hardest part for people to get the last part for them before they admit they want to have a problem.
0: I think so. Anthony, I think, I think, I mean, when I look back at my 2005, 2006 season, I mean, I was a full blown alcoholic playing in the best men's league in the world until I just couldn't play anymore. I got a concussion, but I, I think about, um, I think about that, like it just, it, how, how difficult that was to live like that, how tiring it was, but the stigma of it was me being able, if I was able to go to Bob Clark in January of 06, I need help like now. And, you know, there's an NHL uh, PA meeting, that guys are on and the stories are all the same. They just didn't have the courage to go to the GM. You know, when I told my story when I opened this, I knew that I'd have to come full circle to the entire public in Philadelphia. I got 10 years and I really don't care anymore what people think of me. I'm too old to worry anymore about what people's thoughts of, are me, uh, of me are. You know, my kids care about me, uh, my family does, they're proud of me, they're proud of the changes I've made for the better. But I can't be worried about what other people people think of me. That being said, yes, the hardest part is saying, I need help. I, I need help. And I want people to know in Philadelphia and the Delaware Valley, that's what I want you to say. Because that's the hardest part of doing it. Somebody said last week, called me, said, Chris, I need help. I said, you know what, dude, you just did the hardest thing. It just took the hardest step. Mm-hmm. said, I need help. And that's it. And once they break that stigma of recognizing that you, you had an ailment, it's no different to me than breaking your leg. You break your leg, you got to go get cast on it, get it fixed, let it heal. It's no different to, to me with alcohol or drugs. You have that choice. You can make the choice to heal yourself, but you, you can't do it alone. You need people around you. And really, I tell people with alcoholism, I never really got real and I never got serious about it until I started hanging around sober people. And you realize that they were once nuts, like probably I was a lot of the time, uh, but then they really straightened themselves out too. So
2: like <laughs> oh, that I was said, one of my favorite things. That was one of my favorite things from the stories. They said you realize being around sober people that you guys can be just as crazy without drinking
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and yeah, as you were
2: yeah. when you were drinking.
0: That's the other part I hate is people are like, oh, I'm just never going to be the same. I'm not drinking. Give me a break. Yeah. No, and I'm telling you, like, and this is the best part of my story, guys. When I, when I tell you that when I went to rehab, uh, my, you probably heard this, Anthony. My blood yeah. alcohol level was a 063 Okay, that is world wow. championship, like, top of the of Mount Everest food chain of drinking. You don't get higher than that. Live. And they told me. So I went to Karen Foundation in, in Wernersville, Pennsylvania, and the guy came in, and I don't know, was like two sheets of the wind, but I was talking like I am with you guys right now. That's how far progressed I was, in July of 2006. And the guy comes in and goes, congratulations, you just set a 50-year record. <laughs> like, 50 years. You know how many people go in and out of that place? And right. I mean, right. it's unbelievable. Wow. So I look at it now and I guess it's, you know, it's funny, but it's, it's sad as hell. Right. All wrapped in the one to realize. And the guy told me if you weren't playing hockey for the last 20 years of your life, you'd be dead. There's no way you'd live through that. You're right. technically supposed to be dead at point four. Yeah. I was just warming up there.
2: That's wild. That's wild. Yeah. How can, how can people get in touch with you guys? What's yeah, best, you know what we are.
0: We, uh, so it's LimitlessRecoveryCenters.com, LimitlessRecoveryCenters.com. com. Uh, here's the uh, you have the uh, our logo. So if you yes. see it, we're also on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, we try to keep up on it. But really, I'm I'm marketing. I, I'm uh, just making sure the word of, of limitless is, is getting out there. Uh, we I'll be more active in, in the next couple of months. I think first year of hockey out. You know, I still kind of stuck to it a little bit on Twitter and watching games. This was going to be, I never said anything. This was going to be my last year anyway um, of hockey game six made me sick last year or game seven. And I, I was like, just walked out of there just completely irate after that Islander loss, the no show for the team. And so I said, "That's be my last year. It ended quicker <laughs> than I had a chance to have my last year, but you know what, guys, if this is the only post game I do this year, it's been a hell of a good one. So I've had a lot of fun. And, and you know what? Um, Again, I, I, uh, I, I, think I'm doing things that are far more valuable for a lot of people in this community. Now uh, I do miss hockey. I always will. It's been the great love of my life. Um, but I guess like everything, everything comes to an end at some point and, and a new beginning starts. And that's where I'm at right now.
2: Well, you're always welcome
0: here yeah, on snow. the Gold. Uh, yeah, You're always
2: it. welcome to come in and offer your insight and analysis of hockey. Well, we'd love to have you. Absolutely. Appreciate yeah, it. absolutely. Uh, I have to
1: say I, it, it, uh the the things that you're doing right now i think are are very clearly the most impactful thing that you could be doing and i think that you're an inspiration to to people who are are going through those kind of struggles i think it's uh it's a really great thing that you're doing so you should be commended for it
0: thanks ross thanks anthony i really appreciate it guys it's you know it's people like you spreading the word about it and and, uh, you know again i couldn't do this without the, the philadelphia community that really is you know people saying hey you know and I love when someone says, hey, my brother-in-law was telling me your story and thought I should give you a call. To me, you have no idea how impactful that means to me, that somebody's hearing the story. They caught, uh, they caught a, a look on a, a social media. They watched this podcast and said, you know what, hey, someone's struggling. Let's give Bundy a call. And that's what I want. That's the communication uh, I want in the city. And what I want people to, to realize that, you know what, uh, this guy right here came, came back from hell. And uh, I did it. And I promise you, you can do it. If I did it, you can do it. And I want them to think of me as a face of sobriety in the city. Just give me a call. It's, it's easy. A text. We get every single thing that comes through. If we've missed something, try again. Uh, but you know, this is how I live my day now. And it's a, uh, it's a great, great feeling guys. That's
2: awesome. That's awesome. Well, uh, Russ, I think, I think that will wrap up the, the episode this week. We don't need to read any five star reviews because we know how many we're going to get next week after uh-huh. everybody hears this episode, right?
1: Absolutely, one hundred percent.
2: So we could save we could save those till next week. But right. uh, but yeah, no. Thanks again, uh, Bunny. This was just just awesome, just good stuff.
0: Great stuff, guys. And I know I follow you guys during the year too. You both do good stuff. You have great guests on, and uh, it's nice to hear some real good hockey talk during the season. So thanks for that.
1: And that, ladies and gentlemen, is Chris Terran. A big thank you to Bundy for coming on the show. We look forward to talking to him down the line. In the meantime, make sure you follow us over on Twitter and Instagram at SnowTheGoalie, at AntSanPhilly, at JoyOnBroad, Facebook.com slash SnowTheGoalie. Of course, you can subscribe to Snow the Goalie on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. We're going to be writing things up from now all through the off season. Over on crossingbroad.com. And as Anthony outlined in a recent post, Dave Scott, the chairman of the team, only took five questions. Apparently, it was a miscommunication with the organization with some of the PR staff. So we do believe that at some point soon he will be made available to the media once again. So before we go all in, and I know some people thought that we were gonna come in and go with all kinds of fireworks and and you know, screaming, yelling about Dave Scott because the PR staff says that he's going to be made available again. We're going to hold off for a second. We're going to see if he's made available at some point in the next week or so, but otherwise we will react to that and plenty more on next week's episode. So again, a big thank you for listening. Make sure you subscribe and follow us on social media. All the links that are mentioned are in the episode description. Simply click on them and follow us and subscribe. Until next week, I'm Russ and Bundy. We'll talk to you again next week.